Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Kelly, and you're listening to the Everywhere We Go podcast. On this week's episode, I sit down with Beverly Coughlin. Beverly was featured on episode three, The Five Lamps, and in that we touched on Bev's mental health and her journey through pre and postnatal depression and psychosis. After that episode, both Bev and I received requests to sit down together again. And this week we get into the why behind her journey, how two horrific incidents sent her down the path of anxiety. We chat through the births of her children and she tells me the horrific story of a miscarriage. We talk about these events and how they impacted not only her, her little family. She tells me why it's so important to get your smear test and what she went through because of a delayed result. We chat about how she champions others to be their very best and how she is working to get there with her own confidence. Bev was a pleasure to sit with and someone you can easily relate to. We had lots of fun on and off mic on this one. Prosecco's to blame and we hope you enjoy. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? I'm Bev and I'm from the Five Lamps. So Bev, obviously everyone will know who you are already because of our Five Lamps podcast. Um, And the reason why I wanted to sit down with you again was because so many people asked me initially after the podcast to sit down with you just to talk about your depression and how you came through all that. Um, But then when I did a pause in the podcast Everyone came back to me going, please get Bev back on, please get Bev back on. So we're here. And so we're going to have a little chat about everything that people have asked us to have a chat about. I'm ready. You're ready. Okay. So the main thing that people want to talk about was obviously the postnatal depression. The psychosis. The psychosis. So where do you want to start? Fire at me. I'll answer anything. At what stage in your life did depression start? I always thought that the depression started after my niece passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have been really, really close. I was like our second mammy. Um, but it stemmed from an accident a couple of years prior. Okay. Where I was bringing my niece home after her being in my mum's house and she was in a motorbike accident. That resulted in her having a massive brain hemorrhage, having brain surgery, being left in a coma. But coming out the other side, so... I never thought that's where it started. It was only going to therapy and speaking to a therapist that that's where he reckons that stemmed from. Okay, so what happened? Tell me about that day. So my sister had a a little boy and she'd gone home with him. And Taylor, my niece, wanted to stay in my mum's. 
So I had said, let her stay, I'll bring her home. So me and my cousin Rebecca were bringing her home later. That, I think it was around five o'clock, half or five o'clock. She was still in our school uniform. She'd only started school that year. And we'd got to where my sister was living in Ballybuck House. And my cousin's boyfriend was there on his motorbike, moped. And Taylor asked, could she sit on the motorbike? And she did. And they were sitting there and she pressed a rev. And the bike went up in the air. She went up in the air. Thomas went up in the air. Thankfully, Thomas pulled the bike away. But it was the impact, you know, her hitting the ground. Thankfully, the bike didn't hurt her because she was gone. But it resulted in her having a massive brain hemorrhage, bleed on her brain. She was in Beaumont for weeks. She had to be rehabilitated and we were told she'd never walk again. But three weeks later, she was asking for a cabbage dinner walk and she was <laughs> flying. You know, it took a while, but she was flying. That's where the therapist had said my depression had started, whereas I thought it was a couple of years later. OK. And did you have guilt? Was there massive guilt? With oh, you Jesus, yeah. Like, mm. I mean, she was in my care. Now, I was only young. I was only like... 17, 18 maybe. But she was in my care. I was bringing her home. So, of course. But my sister never blamed me. Like, she was always making sure I was okay. She was always, you know, you'd done nothing wrong. You know, could have happened when I had her. Mm. You know, nobody was to know what was going to happen. And then tell me about your niece. So, like I said, my sister had Taylor and her son. And he was only a year and a half old when Taylor's accident happened. So when... um. Emily was born. When Emily was born, um, Scott was two and a half. Mm -hmm. So I kind of took the mummy role for Emily. So my sister could kind of catch up with the time she'd missed with Scott due to being in the hospital with Taylor. Mm. So I always had her. I was always out and about her. She was like, everybody thought she was mine. Mm. So when she was 11 weeks old, she was diagnosed with a very rare form of leukemia and a chromosome disorder which resulted in her staying in Crumlin Hospital. Getting told that she wouldn't survive the weekend at 11 weeks old was horrendous. But she did, you know, she survived. She lived until she was just 11 months old. Um, and that killed me. That I lost myself when it happened to her because I was so close. I used to sleep in the hospital so my sister could come home because her husband still had to work. You know, bills mm. still had to be paid yeah. back then. There was no GoFundMe's back then, mm -hmm. you know. 16 years ago. So my sister still had to go home to our other two children. So I used to sleep in the hospital all the time to give her that break. How old were you? When Emily was diagnosed, I was 19. Okay. Very hard for a 19 year old to be yeah, doing that. Yeah. And then what happened to her? In so she was diagnosed on the 25th of August. And on the 25th of November, I remember I was sleeping over there. And she took eight bottles that night, one after the other. It was like she had this torse that she couldn't get rid of. Mm. And that weekend, the doctors came and said to my sister, look, our counts are this, our counts are that. You know, we don't think she's going to survive the weekend. We think you should take her home. But she did. She survived the weekend and she lived until March. And she caught pneumonia and for three days she fought so hard and then she passed away. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And that's where we spoke about in the five lamps that the girls were checking in on you oh, and yeah, making yeah. sure that you were okay. I mean, 
I, I'd be sleeping over there and they'd be texting, you know, do you need food? Do you need this? Or like Cathy and Olive would drive me over. And, you know, when it was my time, instead of getting the bus, they'd bring me over or collect me and just always making sure that I was okay. And then obviously then you have to have a funeral and mm. all of that. Horrendous. I, I remember the day she died, she died, I think it was 10 to 4. And like she was home. We never let her go to the morgue. We never... We took her home. I think she was home and off at six o'clock that day. And for four or five days, she was in our house. You know, all the window, it was all fully ventilated. You mm. had to keep the windows open. And I'm sitting there holding her, wrapped in her, we need a blue blanket. It was, yeah, it, but it was like she, she didn't die. Like it was still talking to her, still singing to her. It was just, but then to know she was never coming back was just, yeah, it just killed me. And how was your sister through that? My sister has never been the same since it happened, ever. And I don't think, she died that day. She yeah. copes and she lives for our two kids that are still here. But she's not here, really. She Good. died that day. How are you reacting after this point? Are you... I became an introvert. Okay. So like, not answering phones, not meeting my friends, saying I'm going out that weekend, not showing up. Start calling in sick to work. My work became, you know, do I really want to work? No, no. And not to say I didn't feel sorry for myself, but I was hurting. But I didn't, you know, you put this barrier up of, yeah, I'm fine, but you're not. So, yeah, I was, I struggled. I struggled bad. You know, the grief, I remember, and I still to this day, sometimes get not as, not as hard as I did. But I remember I used to get this pain in my arm. That was coming from me. The pain in my heart was traveling to me. I I can never still describe the pure pain, but I remember this pain I'd get in my arm and oh God, you just, I always say if I felt like this, imagine how my sister felt. Mm. That was her child. Mm-hmm. And you're dealing with all that grief mm-hmm. and then what's next? What's happening next then? God, you couldn't make it up. Um, so less than a year after my niece died, one of my closest closest cousins he was 21 died and you know for a baby to die but not to know what's going on is one thing but for a a lad that has lived 21 years of his life to just die you know you grow up with him he's part of your friends he's he's the messer he's like the life and soul and he's dead it was just it was indescribable I can't describe you know what my family went through it was like my granny buried three kids in the same year, in the fifties, and I was like, my mom always says it was like history repeating itself, but just for di- not for the same person, for like different family members, mm. but all of them in the same year. My cousin Joseph died in February, and then a month later, my my cousin Nigel died in Fe- in April. How do you process that? You, but that's where depression comes from. Mm. You think you're processing it. And you think you're dealing with it, but you're not. It's it's slowly but surely building. Then it erupts. Yeah, and then you have to deal with it. How is the family as a whole feeling and how they you know, how how does that affect the family as a whole? We like the Cavanaghs would be a very, very close family. You know, we're we've never been one of these families that fall out with one another. We could say whatever to one another and it'd just be brushed. You know, it is what it is. Mm. So like for my mom and my sister, so my mom buried her grandchild, my sister buried her child. Mm. Then for my mom's closest sister to bury her son, 
and then our brother to bury our son all within a year. It was, it was tough. It was tough. And like my granny, my granny's looking at, my granny always says that my sister was her. Because my sister was going through what she'd gone through. But for my nanny to look at her kids going through what she'd gone through mm. was really, really hard for her. I can see that. Like history, repeat like history itself, yeah. repeating itself. Yeah. And then moving on, as I said, then to you having your first child. At what point, like before all of that, and you're saying that you didn't go out and you became an introvert. But obviously, did things change then? How did you come out? Yeah, I it? mean, things were always up and down, like... Like anything, one week you could be fine. Mm. Then it'd be a month where you just go deep into yourself again. And alcohol can play a havoc mm. with mental health. So mm. I'd go out, think I was grand, have the great night with my friends and then boom, it hit you. And it'd take me like a week or two weeks to recover from, not the hangover, but the feelings that you'd get along yeah. with the alcohol. So slowly but surely I start kind of coming back out, you know, but it was always there. It always linger. And how would, how did that manifest itself? You know, you know, people who it's manifested itself through eating disorders and, you know, you know, cutting themselves and harming themselves. How did yours manifest? I, I never, I got alopecia at one stage. Now mm. I never lost all my hair, but I lost, uh, I got patches and stuff. Um, and I got really sick with, I got a, an ulcer, which they say was from stress. <laughs> but like, I never cut myself. I never, you know, Ooh. I never done any of the extreme things. The physical. So it, it was, never, it was phys never physical. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, I just remember sitting there one day and I think it was Cathy that actually noticed the big egg shaped uh, patch. Yeah. But other than that, no, it was never physical. Never physical. No. So you're just then... In your the, your early twenties, mm -hmm. getting on with your life, having a ball, yeah, and then you're pregnant. Yep. So I met O'Sheen when I was twenty two, twenty three, and we were together. We travelled. We done everything we needed to do, and then I got pregnant on Piper when I was twenty nine. Um, quite late for townies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so I'm told. I was off enjoying my life, but um. Yeah, I got very bad postnatal on Piper. Um, wouldn't let anybody hold her. Still to this day, I don't let anybody take them. Really? No, I don't like, nobody takes my kids. Not because they don't want to, because I, you know, Piper has slept in my mum's house, Oshin's mum's house and my older sister Erica's house. That's it. And it's only for... When How we, old is she? She's almost seven. Okay. Um, sure, like, Drew is three. Otis is 17 months and I haven't had one night apart from him. Really? I need it. Yeah. I want it. After COVID, whoever wants them can take them <laughs> at this stage. I'm over it. Yeah. Um, no, but it just, this. Um, when did it start? So I, 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 I remember having her. And I remember when she was nine weeks old, me and Oshin went to San Sebastian in Spain for a break on our own. Mm. And I remember over there. The whole, I think we were there for four or five days. Just Piper, Piper, Piper. I'd never switched off. It wasn't enjoyable. Mm -hmm. um, I got home and I've never left her since. Really? No, no, it was horrendous. Um, I just kept thinking, you know, what if she's walking down the street and somebody lets a hand go and she runs out in a car? You know, I'd seen my sister lose one child and almost leave, lose another. I'd physically witnessed that. 
I'd seen my niece take her last breath. So, you know, and I never fully understood my sister or her grief until I had Piper. And I remember when Piper was four days old, I pulled up at the salon. We had a salon at the time. And Rebecca coming out, I was like, now I know how Erica feels. Because if anything happened to her, I would die at her feet. Because you, you don't understand, mm. you know, a mother's love. You just don't. Mm. So, yeah, I haven't left them since then. But I remember when Piper was seven months old, being in town, coming out of a lift and done and just crying. And that's when I knew, you know, something's not right. And like, was it normal pregnancy? Everything was fine? And yeah, every... Yeah, I had a good pregnancy. Mm. Um, I went two weeks over, exactly 14 days over on her. Um, she was £9.13 born. She was big, um, gorgeous. Nothing, didn't even have the baby blues. Like I never cried or anything after having her. Mm. And then it was like, it just hit me. So four days in, you have a panic. If, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So four days after having her, we pull up at the salon. Me, me, me cousin Rebecca's getting her hair done. And she comes out to me to see the baby in the car. And I just start crying. Actually, I did have the baby blues, obviously. <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah. So I cried to her and I said, now I know how Erica feels. Because of that, like I did say, if anything was to happen, yeah. you know that rush of love you get. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously I did get the baby blues. Yeah, so because uh, obviously you said earlier that Rebecca was with you when it happened to your niece. Yeah. 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 So like Rebecca's my cousin, but like she's one of my best friends. Okay. And we were bringing her home when that happened. And it was Rebecca's boyfriend on the motorbike that Taylor yeah. set on and pulled her out on. And then after that, then what happened? With you? So you're in the salon. Then when you come home, what's your behaviours like? So like wouldn't keep a bib on her for two minutes. It all started with cleanliness. Okay. So like constantly changing her, constantly making sure she was scrupulous clean, constantly checking her nails. Did You'd never see a bit of dust on her pram. So the manicness started there, mm. you know, just making sure that she was literally standing alone before mm. we left the house. You know, th- th- they were the things that would get me the most, you know, because I would be thinking this is the psychosis part. People talk about me if they see. Okay. You know, mm. and we I've seen in before. I remember Channel Four did something on the psychosis, and that was really a hard watch for me because people thought there was women in there that thought there was a threat to their baby. Mm-hmm. They thought there was a threat to their lives. Then there was women in there who thought that if I just take myself and my baby out of this equation, mm-hmm. equation, which was to kill myself, kill my baby, I'm protecting my baby. I never had that feeling, mm. but I did have feelings that like I remember putting her into a crib one time and we had one of those next to me and I was like, oh my God, what am I banging? And this is just putting her in, but convinced myself I'm going to bang her head off the, the corner of the wardrobe or the, the drawer and, and then almost pushing Oshin away to the extent where I'd say, I don't need you. Mm. I have four, I, don't, I have everything I need now. I don't need you. But I did, like, of course I needed, you know, he was the, me, me support. He was the only kind, sorry, he was the only kind of support system that I was allowing in. Like, I barely let me mum through the door. My mum knocked, I'd be like, rushing her out the door. Because I, like, my mum used to say, you're not superwoman. I was trying to do everything myself. Mm-hmm. I still do. How old is she when you're in Dunn's in the lift? And- she was seven months old. Okay. Seven months old. And I just remember this old man talking and he had a bit of a stammer. 
nobody in the lift, lift would kind of give him any attention. Mm-hmm. And that's all he wanted. And I remember coming out of the lift and breaking down and ringing Oshin and I was like, you need to come and get me. And that was the first time that I'd actually felt something or that I cried where I didn't, I didn't want to stop crying. I'd finally let go. Mm. And in that moment with Oshin, is Oshin aware this is going on or is this a surprise to him that you were having this breakdown? He he knew that, you know, obviously he's a man. I don't mean that in a in a chauvinist way or whatever, but you know, so he knew there was something. But we're first time parents, so he didn't know what it was. You know, he didn't know whether I was changing and that I just wanted Piper. He didn't know whether I was changing and I needed help. He just he didn't know how to approach the subject with me, but he knew there was something. Mm. And then what happens after that? So I remember knowing that he had a problem, but being, do you call it ignorant or do you call it, you know, being a mother and thinking you can do it? Yeah. Or being ashamed, maybe. I didn't want to accept mm. help. I didn't want to feel like a failure that I needed help. Mm. So I got on with it. Even though I did, I was, I was crying out for help, but I just tried to get on with it. And... It's it's gas because it's not gas. But when I had Aria, Aria was quite sick. So she she was fine. And then I brought her into town. So we went to, I brought her into town and we went to see Santi and she was 10 days old and I had her dressed up and so on. And then the next day she got a cough. And Paul said to me, she doesn't look right. I'm going to bring her to the D-Doc. And he brought her to the D-Doc and he left, he left me in the house and he said, look, you stay with Amelia. I'm going to bring her off. And he went to the D-Doc and he rang me. He said, look, I'm on the way to the hospital. And I said, oh, okay, what's going on? He said, oh, the doctor just said, didn't like to look of her and wants to bring her to the hospital. And I said, okay. So he got up to the hospital and he said to me, uh, an hour later it passed and he rang me and he said to me, look, he said, there's something's wrong. We need to, we need to, I, I need you to come up here to me. He said, my mum and dad are on the way. And he um, he said, they're going to take Amelia and they're going to drop you to the hospital. And I said, OK, no problem. So when I, his mum and dad came and they drove up. So when I got to the hospital, a nurse met me and she said to me, hello, ma'am. And I said, Where, where's my husband? Where's my daughter? And they said, um, we're just going to let you know what's happening with your daughter. And it turned out that she had... They had, she had bronchitis and they didn't know what was going on with her. And they said, when you go into the room, you're going to be a little bit frightened because she's all set up with all these machines and so on. So it, it transpired that she was very sick. She was a very sick baby. And then it, it was a long story that we ended up being transferred to Temple Street and we were in Temple Street for days and we nearly lost her and she was in ICU and all of that. And then I got her home a couple of days before Christmas and we had Christmas and we did all that and everything. And then I think it was maybe in the February, my friend came up to me and she said to me, Julie, and she she's one of my longest friends. And she came to the house and she pulled up my curtains and she said to me, this has to stop. She said, this has to stop. Mm-hmm. She said, what are you doing? And she said to me, you're depressed. She said, you're depressed. She said, this needs to stop. And Paul came home with a diary and he said to me, can you just start filling that in and tell me your feelings? But I did. I got a little bit of postnatal depression because I felt one, the blame that I was at taking her out at 10, at 10 days old into the cold city of Dublin. I was at giving her the cough. I was at giving her the bronchitis. Um, but I never forgave myself. It was so, it was, I, I just had this blame factor. Yeah. 
And I, I wonder with you, like there was nothing there that there was no blame. So I just don't know where, where did it come from? Which Now that you had to mention in the hospital, mm. um, when Piper was six weeks old, we had a checkup with the health nurse and she was kind of gasping, but she told me it was fine. And I remember going back over to my mum's because my mum lived facing the public health yeah. nurse. Um, she started gasping more and she caught me. Mum was like, she's kind of grey colour. So I went straight to Temple Tree with her. And as soon as we got to Temple Tree, they took her off me. Mm. Um, they actually done three lumbar punctures on her. They thought it was meningitis. <gasps> but it turned out she had, because she was covered in a rash. They done the lumbar puncture. We had to wait outside. Like I had to, like that, I had to ring O'Shea and say, get out. He didn't even know I was going to hospital. He thought I was just going to the clinic for a checkup. Mm. So he had to come up and... Both of his new parents sitting there, or my baby's in a resource room getting a lumbar puncture done. Three lumbar punctures in the end because they couldn't do it. Um, but it turned out that she had rotavirus and she had lactose intolerance. Okay. So the rash, thankfully, was just down to the milk coming out of her because I had breastfed and milk and bottle fed. Mm. And then the rotavirus was the poo coming out. So she was severely dehydrated. But like that, they said we could have lost her because there was no nutrients, there was no liquids, there was nothing keeping her hydrated. So maybe in that moment, after seeing what my sister went through yeah, and being in that hospital room for those five days while she was on drips and, mm-hmm. you know, getting, you know, maybe that could have triggered it. Mm. I, I don't know. I, I've never put it down to that. But just when you put two and two together and you see... You know, you're in a hospital environment, you see, and you, you see your, your niece die, and then you're in a hospital environment again, it's your baby. It's kind of like, did that trigger? Trigger. Yeah. Like, did you go for for help? Did you see? No, so help? I never, I kind of, I rode the wave. Mm-hmm. I convinced myself that I could deal with it, that I'd be fine. And, and for a time I was, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of just have to. I think it's an Irish mammy thing, you know, mm. you're fine, you're strong, you'll, you'll get on with it. And I did, and I did. And I remember then I got pregnant and I had a miscarriage just before I had Drew. Okay. And I think it was like eight weeks after the miscarriage, I got pregnant on Drew. What uh, was the miscarriage like? I was actually standing over a basin in a salon while I was having my miscarriage. Known. Being too proud to walk out the door. Because I just found out probably four days beforehand. And I remember then I was shampooing one of my clients and I remember going in and sitting down. And I remember the the, the lady who owned the salon coming in and kind of giving out. You know, what are you doing? You know, and I, I lost it with her. I literally flipped on her. She was a machine. She wanted you to be a machine. And we were, we were all machines working there. Literally, I never worked as hard as me in my life. And I snapped her. My fucking lipped. So you're washing some, you're doing a shampoo yeah, and, and you're bleeding. I'm bleeding, bleeding. And I remember going into the toilet and your lady's waiting. And I'm there and I'm bleeding, like losing a baby. And I finished that day and we went home and yeah. The, the miscarriage continued for a day and a half. And did Ushi know you were pregnant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'd found out a couple of days prior. 
And I, I like work. I like keeping busy. I like it. That, that's what helps my mind. So that's why, you know, I went in, didn't think anything of it. And then I knew it, it wasn't a normal amount of blood. You know, on Piper, I'd spotted. It was fine. I, you know, and I kind of thought the first time it happened. So I thought it was normal. But then I knew by the amount of blood that I was losing that it wasn't normal. And just going to the bathroom and getting a knock on the door, you, like you feel like screaming. Well, what do you do? You know, you feel... Like I finished my day in work knowing what was happening to me because I didn't want to let people down. Did you tell her? I eventually, you know, I told her the end of the day, mm. but I, I, you know, I didn't let it interfere with getting those clients done, not letting them down. And yeah, you know, when you look back now, you're kind of like, why did you do that? You know, you you mattered more than anybody. Well, that's fucked up, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But also I think we do that, don't we? Yeah, it's, you know, you you don't, you don't want to let people down. You know, you you people booked in, you people relying on you. And I was like, just get them done and you can go home and you can, I think, was it Friday or Saturday? I can't remember. And I was like, just get to stay done. And then and that's what I done. And then I went home and, you know, what was, what happened, what happened? And did that cause your increased depression or? No, I was kind of fine. Um, you read and you hear things. I, I I don't want to shove this off as like miscarriages don't matter. Jesus, by all means, you know, they do. But I'd read so many, you know, sometimes miscarriages happen and I, you know, I took it as in, you know, I'm young, I'm fine. What will be, will be. And I, I, it will happen again. It will happen again. I'll have, I, I'll, I'll get pregnant. And like eight weeks later, I was pregnant, you know, I got pregnant on Drew like eight weeks later. How did you feel going into that pregnancy? Oh, I was, it was fine from the get go. Yeah. You know, so I knew I was pregnant straight away. Um, I never had an issue. Maybe late during the late pregnancy, I started getting, you know, with my pelvis and my back and stuff. But yeah, it was smooth all the way through. She was the only baby that I actually went into natural labor on. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was fine. And was there any sort of anxiety then? Um, I I did get a little bit of prenatal depression on Drew, but it wasn't. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Because of Drew, was, there was stuff going on. Mm. There was stuff going on in the family. I was pregnant and, you know, there was, in on my mom's side of the family, there was a bit of drama going on and... That caused. So outside circumstances yeah, was ca- causing your anxiety. anxiety but to it, kind of, yeah. it was not, it wasn't pregnancy related no, that no, was causing the no, anxiety. No. Yeah. Um, like I said, there was drama going on in the family. Um, so yeah, it just made me anxious. And made, you know, you did, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was, yeah, it was just a very, what do you say? Tough time. Yeah, it was a very tough time, but a, a very uncertain time. Uncertain time. And then obviously you said you had a very normal pregnancy. And then after that. I was kind of grand after I had her. Right. Um, I had a good few months of feeling great. And then when she was seven months old, I remember, right, it's time to get me smear test. I remember ringing to book me smear test. And I remember getting a phone call back from the the nurse saying, Bev, we have your results here from 2014 and you had the highest change of grade and we need to get you seen urgently. And I just broke down crying. I was uncontrollable, inconsolable, I don't know how. <laughs> and Oshin just came down the stairs. He was like, what's going on? I hand him the phone. And the nurse start explaining to Oshin, you know, oh, we tried to send the results out. He was like, it's 2017. Surely if you don't get a response in fucking three years, mm. you know, you try again. Um, but they were just trying to cover themselves. I hadn't lived in the address that they said they sent the letter to in eight years. God. So we wanted to go private. We couldn't go private, you know, with, with everything that was going on. It was all in the media. Couldn't go private. Um, and I had myself dead and buried. Did you? Oh, my God. It was just horrendous. You know, yeah, I start Googling and you're Googling. It's like, oh, it takes five years for this to turn into cancer. I'm like, oh, my God, it's almost four. You know, it was just horrendous. It was a horrible time. And... I think it was four or five weeks later, I got the appointment, which was amazing. And I went in and I had a consultation. They took two biopsies. Um, and it was, it was at the highest, it was called, they call it cancer in situ. So it was caught just in time. Okay. Um, I had it removed. I had it burnt. I had the let's procedure done. And then last year, 
I went back for a checkup and the HPV was back. Um, and that's what caused a cervical cancer. I put on my page a couple of times now, you know, mm. get checked. Um, and then I went for my smear test to start about the middle of October this year. And I got my results yesterday and it was the first time in three years that I'd had a clear smear. Because I've noticed on your page that you had like... And the one thing I want to say, and I don't mean in any any way than what it actually is, is that I see so many people out there pushing influences, pushing different things. And I think sometimes that a lot of them do use it for for the good, but actually to see you put the swipe up link that you put up on your page yesterday and that for me, I was like, everyone needs to be sharing this Mm -hmm. because you just put in your details was it this is something that could potentially save your life you know we don't realize you know it's a silent killer um and all you have to do is put in your date of birth put in your pps number and this will tell you when your next smear is due and on my kids lives the amount of messages i have received you know I would have never done this. I would have never booked me smear. I didn't know when I was due and all because you put that up, all because you made us aware, you know, I now have my date for when I'm booked in. And, you know, if you can use a small platform that I have for anything, you know, I have a small platform and it's to do with, you know, outfit inspiration. But if I can use that small platform to help somebody go and have their health checked, you know, What's that in comparison? What's materialistic things if you can't be here to appreciate them? You know, our health is, you know, especially when you have kids, you have to be so proactive with your health. Mm -hmm. And I get that push from my partner. Like he's like, Bev, 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 you have this, you have that. And I keep a journal and I write everything in, but he's always there in the background reminding me, you know, what I need to do. Because that's the most important thing is your health. And as you said, the messages you got yesterday for the amount oh my, of people. I swear on my kids' lives, the amount of messages I received yesterday. Because when I went and had this smear done, I asked Elaine, the nurse, could I video her? Mm. And she was like, yeah, of course. And I remember her telling me to put my knees together. I was putting my ankles together instead of my knees. I'm still laughing about it now. It's probably a um, wax. You're thinking of a wax. I don't know what I was thinking, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, like it was just, I was sitting there while I was, I was lying there while I was having it done and it was over in two minutes and I'm like, women are afraid to have this done. Like, girls, you've had babies, you've no dignity left. Mm. Go and have your fucking smear tests. Mm-hmm. You know? I remember I was in uh, my doctor's in Malahide and he's a male doctor and he was gone off somewhere, I don't know where he was. And I went down to have a checkup. I think it was, it, I don't know what it was, something ridiculous I was going for. And she said to me, do me a favour, just pop up there and I'm going to give you a, your smear. And I was like, uh, no, I, I haven't waxed. I haven't washed, you know, I, I, not that I haven't washed, but like this is two o'clock in the day. And <laughs> I washed since this morning. <laughs> I washed since this morning. And I was like, you, and she was like, get up on the bed, mm-hmm. I'm doing your smear. And I was mortified because I think we do be mortified and really we shouldn't be mortified. Of course not. Of course not. This is going to save your life. Mm. Two minutes. Done and over with. Leave your dignity, leave your ego at the door. Go and get your smear test and then you'll be fine. Mm. And it's mad because we go and get waxed. I don't. 
Do you know? No, I do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I actually had this um, Nicola up in um, Beauty Lane. I was, she was doing my wax recently, but just before lockdown, you know, and I was having to chat with her about waxing and all. And I, I, she said to me, um, she said, should you think I give it, I, I, I won't go into TMI. And mm-hmm. I said, like, obviously pregnancy issues, female pregnancy issues when you have a baby um, and the things that people don't tell you about. And uh, I said to her, oh, I said, Nicola, and she said to me, do you think I actually look at your, when I'm waxing you? She's like, I couldn't give a shit what your vagina looks like. She's like, I don't care. I'm just getting my job done and I'm waxing exactly. you. And that's what you need in your, your therapist. Don't care. Like, you don't, they, they don't They care. don't care. They just want... They get their job done mm. for you to be okay. And, and mm. you know, that's it. So true. So, right, let's bring it back to Drew. Your, Drew is how old when you start to get? So she was seven months old when I was going through all this. Okay. Just going seven months old. And it was horrendous. <laughs> and I remember going in and having the procedure done and she was like, um, you know, do you really want more kids? And I'm like, look, I want to be here for the two kids that I have. And like, yeah, um, you know, if it was to develop, it can stop you from having kids and stuff. And I was like, look, as I said, I want to be here for the two babies that I have. So, you know, knock yourself out, do what you have to do, save me life, do whatever. And I remember having the procedure done and it's horrible. Like, it, it's not that this painful. This is the LATS one, is it? Yeah, the LATS, LATS procedure. Mm. It's not that painful to get done. I mean, you're anesthetized and whatever. It's the aftermath that's horrendous. I won't even go into detail, but it's worth it. Mm. It's worth it. But I remember, like, Drew was just going seven months and that happened. And I got pregnant on Otis 11 weeks later. Really? 11 weeks later. Surprised. Shot. Now, I didn't find out 11 weeks later, but, mm. I, you know, I was done. I was happy. I was content. And I was devastated when I found out I was pregnant. Really? Devastated. I had a baby. Like, she was still feeding. I had mm. a baby. And I just remember saying to myself, how, how am I going to manage? You know, you know, I do everything myself as it is. You know, with the help of Ushi and whatever, but he's working. I'm at home with two kids. And then I had to say to myself, Bev, you could have been given the worst news possible. But instead you're being given this little gift, you know, embrace it, enjoy it, you know, and then be finished. Mm. And that's for the whole time. That's what I thought, you know, I could have had the worst news possible, but having a little life, another baby to love, another baby to hold and. Yeah, and you know what? He's the making of me. I literally love the little bones. And did you have postnatal depression on him as well, or was it just on the girl? No, I got very bad postnatal after I had him. After him, I had a horrific birth on Otis. Did you? Yeah, and I always remember the register. Is that what you call them? Yeah, <laughs> coming in just before I was discharged and recommending that I consult their mental health team in regards to his birth, and it just might be nice to talk to somebody. Do you and want to talk about the birth? What? Just, you know, I um, I have big babies. Mm. Um, I go overdue on all of them because I don't progress in labour. But when I do go into labour, it happens rapidly. So it's just, and then I suffer with my pelvis and my back and the epidurals failed. Um, so yeah, it was just, you know, I was told by the midwife 
And I told her I needed to push that I was carrying on. Oh, really? Yeah, that I was only five centimetres. And because I progress and I know I've had two previous babies, how my labours go. Um, within two minutes, he was out. And it was just horrific. Like, I mean, he was, I think he was nine, eight or nine, six, one or the other. They're all in their nines, but he came fast. Natural as well. Well, yeah, because the epi- the, the anaesthetist had told me that the epidural was fine and it, it was fine. And then five minutes later, I could feel everything. So they had to come back and do the ice test on me to see whether I could and I could. But What's it was the ice test? Where they get cubes of ice and robot on your body to okay. see whether you can feel it or not where you're supposed to be numb. Okay. And I could tell her exactly where the ice was. So obviously it, it hadn't worked. And she was like, okay, but it's too late. Because I had told her five minutes previous or two minutes previous that I needed to push and she told me no. But then when they checked he was coming. So it all happened fast, erratic, pain. Oh, I just can't. It was just, I've had two previous births, two bigger babies, but he nearly killed me. It was horrendous. I had an emergency section on Amelia and I was going down the natural route because um I won't blame my mother-in-law and I won't blame her on it. She'll kill yeah, me. We'll have to but her yeah, I won't blame, like, but Marion has always said that, not that she's always said, but she said that, you know, if you don't have the baby naturally, you don't really have a baby. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm shutting up. <laughs> no, it was like that, you know, she, but she, it was very different circumstances for her. She, I, I'm, I, she had cancer. When, and so her children were on miracles, you know, to her. So her having those naturally was a big thing for her. Mm-hmm. And a lot of growing up then, I think it was that, you know, if you had the epidural, not that you were weak. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Like that. Oh, that that term has been used numerous times. Yeah. Me? Yeah. And so I felt that I wanted to do this naturally. I wanted to have Amelia naturally. And I was going to have her naturally. I went to the midwives and dropped a hospital. They were fantastic. And I went through a hell of a labour, like an absolute hell of a labour with nothing but gas and air. And, you know, at one point I remember she said to Paul, um, I started to talk to myself. I started to say, oh my fucking God, this is horrific. Oh my, f-. and she said to Paul, um, don't worry, that's just the gas in there that she's talking to herself. And when she walked out of the room, I said to Paul, it's not the fucking <laughs> gas in there. It's the pain of this baby oh coming out God, of me. I hear you. And yeah. I was like, so in the end, they, you, in, when you go for a natural birth with the midwives, you're, you're on a time scale. Okay. So you can only be under a certain time scale. And I went over, I think, 12 hours. Paul would know this inside out because he's brilliant at that kind of stuff. But I went over the 12 hours and they had to move me to the surgeons. They said, we have to move you because we can't. So anyway, a wheelchair came for me. I was in the height of labour and I was I was on the 12 hours and I actually think I pushed to maybe... 14 hours and she said to me yeah all, all in gas and air and she said to me um, when I got to the other the other nurse and into the surgery the nurse said to me we've heard all about you she said fair play and now we're ready to take over and then I got the, the epidural and oh my god I was having a can of coke I was eating a Snickers I was on the <laughs> phone I was reading a magazine it was brilliant 
And then she said to me at one point, she said, um, Paul said to her, cause he's like an eagle eye. And she, he said, the, you know, the machine and it's going up and down and doing the heartbeat and all, mm-hmm. and the breathing. And he said, um, do you see the machine wasn't really moving? And she says, yeah, I noticed that as well. And when they checked the ox, her, Amelia's oxygen levels had dropped. So they had to emergency C-section me. So that was fine. And they did. And I had her and brilliant. But on Aria, they, I said, I, you know, I'm going in for a section. I, you know, yeah. I'm all over this. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to have this baby in a section, but I end up having her naturally and the epidural worked on one side. And, and not on the other. other. Yeah. So yeah, it, and maybe talking about it now, that's probably another reason why I did get that little bit of postnatal mm-hmm. on Ari. It's mad, mm-hmm. isn't it? Well, psychologically, you know, they always, they, you know, I have a thing with texture when I eat and I never knew where it came from. And when I was six weeks old, I was hospitalized with croup cough in Cherry Orchard Hospital for six weeks. And they always say, because I was incubated, is that what you call it? Yeah. Psychologically, we remember. So my texture comes from having that tube forced down me. This is coming from a therapist now. So it's not me making it up. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's just mad. It's mad how the mind works, isn't it? It's mad how our bodies work. Yeah. So then after Otis, you got really bad, did you? Mm -hmm. So... Everything was grand for a couple of months and I just slipped. In what way? I remember going to, getting referred to the mental health nurse in Hollister Hospital and just talking to her and finally accepting, you know, you have a problem. You need, you need to address it. You need to talk to somebody, you know, you can't do this on your own anymore. I got, he was almost 12 weeks old again. He had a name. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You know, we we were indecisive, undecisive. Um, I just wanted everything perfect. I, you know, I overthought things. What will people think again? Why does that matter? Now I know it doesn't. You know, they don't pay my bills. Mm. They don't clothe my kids. Um, and this is something that I learned through therapy, through accepting who I am, accepting what I am. Um. But yeah, I it took a while for me to accept it, but I did. I cried that I'd suffered six years. I'd let my family, my little family suffer at the hand of the unpredictability of, you know, am I going to have a good day, a bad day? Oh, you know, I could have sorted that then and I didn't. Because you said in the five lamps was a piper who said that... <laughs> There was two epi- there was two incidents. There was one where we were at the zoo, the lights in the zoo. And she was like, I wish I could go back to this time where you were a happy mummy. And then a while ago, she commented on that she'd never heard me laugh out loud. Now, I wouldn't laugh out loud really anyway. Okay. I would always be like a cackler, but in, mm. you know, I'm not one of these loud people that laugh out loud. But that struck me. And I was like, you know, what is she thinking? What's going on in her little mind? I don't want her affected. You know, I've grown up in a an unsteady household mm. where, you know, things are mad. And I don't want her to feel like that, you know, because it's not like that. We're not, we're not a crazy household. But when she said that, that struck a chord in me and that, you know. And I think that it's very different to years ago because years ago we did have the Irish daddy that went out and had his drinks and sometimes 
there was the fear of them coming home and you know what I mean there'd be murder in the house mm-hmm. and so on and I don't know what, I don't I think we've kind of evolved or I, I don't know whether we a generation has said we don't want we know what we will tolerate and what we won't we've yeah. seen it to our parents through their parents mm-hmm. like I mean my grandfather I would put him on a pedestal I idolised him we all did mm-hmm. he was orphaned him and his sister and he was put into um, Artane Boys, Christian Brothers, and she was put into Golden Gate Bridge. And him and my grandmother had 12 kids together. My granddad put his frustration out on his wife and kids, but I've never heard a, an ill word said about him. My mom idolised her dad. It was just because he never had the help he needed in dealing with how he was ultimately raised in a, in a you know, he was sexually abused he was physically abused um and then to look at my mum and dad they they're together since they're 14 years of age Jeez. they're 62 now um almost 62 they bother me <laughs> um my dad would have been a philanderer you know and like I'd remember fights you know I'd remember women's names being thrown around. That's not something you want to hear. That's not something my mum wanted us to hear. But because of her upbringing and her father not dealing with how he was brought up, she knew no different. Mm. So this is something that I would never, ever have around my kids. Like, sorry, um, ever. Yeah. You know, so like raise voices in our house is very, is not, you know, something you'd hear. Amelia said to me last night, um, me and Paul were messing over something. I don't know what it was. And he was slagging me and I was slagging him. And Amelia said to me, she came out, I went upstairs to get, it was actually, do you know what? We were fighting over a cup of tea Sorry. that he, I said to him, you you make the tea this time. And because we're sitting down to watch a program, we're watching this pro Netflix, you know, you go into the whole, whole dark mm-hmm. hole on a series and we're in the middle of this series. And I said, no, it's your turn to make, you know, you make the tea. And I ran up to check on Aria while he was making the tea. And Amelia came out of her bedroom and she said to me, are you fighting? Did I hear you? And I said, no, no. I said, no. And that's the first time she's ever asked, were we fighting? Mm-hmm. Um, but me it was second nature and growing up in my house. Yeah. Um, it was like my mum and I, my mum and dad had, I keep saying mum and dad because of Russian, he's yeah. American. Um, mm. My mum and dad had a can't live with, can't live without relationship. Mm. Um, it was torturous at times growing up, torturous. Um, five kids, you know, they never physically battered each other, but there was fights that, you know, there was smashed plates. There was, if, uh, you know, when you look back, it's like, could you imagine putting your kids through it? No. 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 And it's the same in mind, like in mine. Um, and now my dad is the most softest man. Like mine? In the world. Like he idolizes me. He My idolizes, mom and dad can't do enough for us. Yeah. Same, and as, our kids. Us, same yeah. as us. And same my dad idolizes my mother. Like idolizes mm-hmm. my mother. And the thing is about it that people will who know them my mother is she's she's gasped but she's spoiled rotten she's mm. spoiled rotten by him and he idolizes his grandchildren idolizes and we've just had they've had our first um grandson okay well so he's had i think my brother's three girls and i have two girls so and now we've had we have hunter but um he idolizes them but 
while I was growing up, it was very, and you, you don't like to talk in any way out against your parents or talk ill about them. Of course. But there, it was harder for us growing up and watching, you know, as we said, the typical Irish father who went for his pints mm-hmm. and came back and there'd be like an Irish yeah, all yeah. of this yeah, kind of thing. You know? yeah. yeah. And then to see the men they are today. Mm-hmm. My dad would have been, he would do anything for anybody, even to this day and age, to, you know, but he would have been a house devil street angel, you know. I get um, that. So taking it back to the five lamps and the the feedback that I got, like obviously we had a huge interaction with that, your and Cathy's relationship and the fact that Cathy thought that she'd let you down through it all because she didn't realise how far you'd gone. Okay. And the fact that she she thought that she would try to help you, but it was too late. So what do you say about that? And I never want Cathy to feel like she let me down because, you know, I thought I could deal, deal with it on my own. Mm. I never let my own family know. So, you know, she wasn't to know. That you were going through it. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, what were you, like, what was, what was the crux of it all and how did you become out of it? Just agreeing to accept help. Agreeing there was a problem. And, it, you know, looking back now to think I left it so long, is it, it's it's heartbreaking because it did affect everything. Um, but I got there and I, I accepted help and I'm still accepting help. I still go to therapy. Um, so, yeah. A lot of people reached out and said, Bev should talk more. One on your own Instagram in front of the camera. So what stops you from talking in front of the camera? I suppose paranoia. Um, I wouldn't be the most confident person. Um, I'm not the most glamorous person, but I'm me and I should have just accept that and just go for it. You know, you know, I wouldn't be the most confident person in how I look and how I, you know, when you have a down day and you, f- you don't feel great, it's hard to come to even try come online. So for me to try do it is, you know, it's really hard. You know, I shouldn't feel like that, but I do. And you're one of the biggest champions for people who are not confident. So we had Chantelle the week before and Chantelle was saying, Beverly is at me constantly saying, put yourself out more. So do you ever take your own advice? No, but I should. You Um, should. Like I look at Chantelle and I see a superwoman. I see a woman filling a big pair of shoes, but filling them nonetheless. Like she is, I don't think anybody from around could even comprehend how she's feeling, how she's doing. You know, I even, you know, when I, when I think of what she's doing, besides for our own two kids, but for our mom's four daughters, but she deserves recognition. She deserves. But why do you think that you don't deserve that? It's not that I don't think I deserve it. It's just you're either confident or you're not. I've never been a confident person. You know, give me a drink. I'm Beyonce. Um, But just, you know, always having that. You know, I was bullied in, in secondary school and I was bullied in primary school and always having that in the back of your head of, you know, what people think or, 
it's always there, even though it it doesn't matter. It shouldn't fucking matter. Then, you know, it shouldn't matter because the amount of people that follow you and want to hear more from you. And then if we take it back to your styling. So obviously you have your styling page, the unlikely stylist. Like, how is that going that people are booking through you? You know what? It's amazing. Like people are booking me for next year for communions, for confirmations. You know, it's it's insane that people want my input and how they feel realistically, because, you know, what you wear is how you feel. Um, it's amazing. And like I have three slots left for Christmas. That's it. And like to say that is. It's amazing. But do you feel it's amazing? Now that I'm sitting thinking about it, yeah, because like people want my input. People like what I do. People want me to help them. You know, when I put stuff up on my grid, sometimes people are reluctant to comment or like. But behind the scenes, like they're asking me for help or to help them or, you know, to style them. I, I Silly question time. So I'm going to ask you, so styling wise, who would be the two people you would, a man and a woman that you would like to style? Keeping it Irish. Um, Barry Keoghan. Barry grew up beside me. Him, his mom is a brother. Um, who is Barry Keoghan for anyone who doesn't know who Barry Keoghan is? Ah, come on now. <laughs> the cat killer in Love Hate. He's like an international superstar now. <laughs> ah, Barry. <laughs> Come on. Um, no, not that I get to style him. Like he's Gucci. He's like every brand hanging album, but he's just the most beautiful little face. Bless him. Um, but I'd love to get to style him. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Elaine Crawley. Elaine has big boobies like me. And I do see her and I do envision dressing her. Okay. And I have certain styles of like she'd knock that out of the park. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's very similar to me. I'd like, yeah, Elaine. She's lost so much weight. She looks phenomenal. Yeah, she looks but really She still has her movies. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, we'll end it there. Bev, thank you so much for sitting down with me. It was an absolute pleasure. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.